This morning we're going to start a series called Follower or Fan. Say that with me. Follower or Fan. And you see the greater than symbol there. A follower is greater than a fan. And I want to talk to us about that for the next three weeks as we just talk about being a disciple of the Lord Jesus. Amen. After Jesus rose from the dead, we celebrated that on Easter just a few weeks ago, Jesus gave a great commission to his disciples and told them to go and make more disciples. Amen? That is the call of God on our lives, to make disciples. Well, this morning I want you to look with me uh, in 1 Kings 19, and I want to give you a clear picture from the Old Testament of what a disciple really looks like. And we're going to talk about three marks of a disciple today, amen? And I want to find out today, are you a fan or are you a follower? Say fan or follower. When it comes to college football, I would consider myself a fan of Ole Miss football team. I graduated there in 99 with my bachelor's degree. Um, I attended games while I was a student there. I drove back the next year and uh, went to all the home games that following year, my first year out. I took a little group of friends back with me. I would meet them. Um, I still keep up with the season every year. I know kind of what's going on and who they're playing. I don't watch every game. Uh, I catch them if I'm able to. Um, but back then, I'd spend most Saturdays in the Grove in the student section. Uh, I know all the words to the cheer, even though I'm not allowed to say them because I'm a Church of God preacher. Amen? Hotty toddy. That's about as far as I need to go in the cheer. Amen? Um, I still watch a few games every year. I watch the Egg Bowl every year, uh, usually at my wife's family, and their house is divided about half state and half Ole Miss. I converted her nephew to be an Ole Miss fan with me, and she converted Sean to be a state fan with her recently, I think. And uh, we're kind of 50-50. Wesley's still in there with me. Abigail is the holdout. We'll see how she lands. Amen. <laughs> Y'all Alabama fans, stay away from her. Y'all are trying to get her for your team. I know that. I'm very aware of that, right? I am a fan, say a fan, but I would not consider myself a devoted follower. Now, I have a first cousin that's like a sister to me. Her name is Kim, Kim and Matt Williams, and I want to tell you I'm a fan, but they are a follower, say a follower. Let me tell you, they graduated years ago, and to this day, they don't miss a game. They don't miss a home game, and if they can help it, they don't miss an away game. They buy tickets, they travel, they go, they spend the night, they book babysitters. Not only do they go to all those games, they are in the Grove every Saturday. They are standing at the Walk of Champions when the team and the band come through. They have pictures on their Facebook page with them standing next to most every player. They know who plays. They know who plays now. They've got their eye on who's being recruited and coming up. They know where everybody that got picked up for pro ball has landed, and they support them on their teams as well. They are dyed in the wool. They bleed red and blue. They say the cheer, probably all the words if I had to guess. Uh, they, they are followers of the team. They go up to basketball games when they're able to. They attend a few of the baseball games. They follow everything the team does in every sport that they play, they post about it, they talk about it, they're excited about it. I'm a fan, but they are a follower of the Ole Miss athletic team. Say a follower. And I want to tell you today, I believe that same kind of question can be asked of us today when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you a fan or are you a follower? Because what a disciple is is not a fan. A disciple is a follower. Jesus said, follow me. Amen. 
And that's the call today. And I want to ask you, where are you in that on that continuum today? I hope you are a follower today. Not just fans, but followers. Kyle Eidelman wrote a great book about that a few years back called More Than a Fan. I hope you're more than a fan. Amen? When it comes to your relationship with Christ. This morning, I want to read an Old Testament story and then the words of Jesus himself from the New Testament and talk to you about three marks of being a follower, not a fan, but a follower of Jesus. The story is from 1 Kings 19. It's a story of two prophets. One is the prophet Elijah, and God has directed him to pick his successor, to pick the guy who's going to replace him in ministry next. And he tells him to take, uh, to pick this man named Elisha and to anoint him as the next prophet on the scene. All right? So I want you to notice it here. When it comes to relationship with Christ, he gives us the example of what it looks like. Verse 19, 1 Kings 19. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the 12th. Then Elijah passed by and threw his mantle on him, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So Elisha turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people. And they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. That's our Old Testament reading. Now from the words of Jesus, Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. May God bless the reading of his word and his people said, Amen. What are the three marks of a disciple of Jesus? Number one, they are called. Say called. To be a disciple means I've been called by Jesus. This is our identification with Christ. We are called. Verse 19, it said Elijah went by and threw his mantle on him. A prophet wore a garment, uh, a special garment that identified him as being a prophet. Whenever you saw him come up with that garment on, that mantle on, it would have immediately spoken to you, that's a man of God. He's a prophet. He speaks for God. That mantle represented his prophetic office, his calling. Now in our tradition, we don't do that a lot, but on occasion we do. Uh, I have a stole that I wear on baby dedications or communion Sunday or when I do a wedding, I'll often wear a minister stole. It was given to me whenever uh, I was ordained in the church of God. Uh, we don't wear them often. We don't wear them every week in our denomination. But if you see that stole on someone, you know, oh, there's a pastor. There's someone in the ministry. It's sort of like if you go to the hospital and you see the little collar turned around backwards, you immediately know, oh, there's a priest. There's a minister. The stole of Elijah marked him, That the, the mantle of Elijah marked him as being God's prophet. And so when he threw that on Elisha's shoulders, he was basically saying, I'm inviting you to join me in the ministry. I'm inviting you to sign up. I'm 
I'm inviting you to come into training under me and to become a minister of the gospel. That's what that was about. And so he's basically calling him to join him in ministry. This mantle, this garment that designates his office, it was a sign of the Spirit's anointing that rested on him. In the New Testament, it was referred to as the yoke of Christ. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. Again, that idea, if you wanted to be a follower of a rabbi, you took his yoke. That meant you entered into training with him, and you were going to shadow him and follow him and learn from him what he taught and how he lived. And the goal was to be trained by your rabbi. The yoke of Christ is a sign that you're under his authority. I want to tell you today, you may never get a minister stole. The preacher may never throw his coat on your shoulders. But if you are a believer today, you are called to bear the yoke of Christ. You are called to take his yoke upon you and learn from him. You are called to submit to Christ. You are called to come up under his authority and to obey his teaching and to follow his footsteps. That's the call of every disciple. A disciple is called, say called. It's not just being called to the ministry. We are all called into the Christian family. 1 Peter 2.9 tells us that, right? He says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you might show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. If you're a Christian, you've been called out of the darkness. You've been called into the light. You've been called into the family of God. No one becomes a Christian any other way except they hear the call of Jesus. You see today, I can issue the outward call. I can preach the gospel. I can invite you to believe on Jesus. And that will give you an opportunity. But I want to tell you, you will never come to trust in Christ until Jesus himself calls you. You know it's the truth as well as I do. I don't know how many times I heard the gospel. I don't know how many services I sat through before I came and trusted Christ but there was this one night and on that one night something different happened. It wasn't anything special about the preacher. It wasn't anything special about the message but it was something that night that happened to me. Jesus Christ walked into that room and he came down the pew that I was sitting on and he laid his hand on my shoulder and the Holy Spirit did what only God can do. He turned the lights on in my heart. He made the gospel click in my mind and suddenly this message that I thought was for everybody else suddenly I knew for the first time it's about me. I'm the sinner who needs a savior. I'm the one who's separated from God and needs to be restored. I'm the one that Jesus died for. I need to trust him. I need to invite him into my life and I knelt that night because I was responding to the call of Jesus. Say the call. And if you ever become a Christian, it'll be because somewhere along the journey, whether it was a one-on-one conversation or a small group meeting like Jameson had with a group of refugees or whether it's in a service of worship like this, it'll be because the Spirit of God took the gospel of Jesus and connected it to your heart in a way that the lights come on and faith rises and you're able to believe and trust Christ. The symbol of having submitted to Jesus in the Bible is baptism. Say baptism. So I don't, you don't have to wear a stole, but I want to tell you there ought to be a mark about your life and there ought to be a watermark on your life. If you are a Christian, you need to be baptized in water. If you are a Christian, you need to publicly profess that faith 
through the ordinance of baptism. That is the New Testament example, amen? And, and baptism is the way we go public about that. It's a symbol we've submitted to Christ. The French writer uh, Henry Barbusi tells of a conversation overheard in a trench full of wounded men in World War I. One of the men who knew he only had a few minutes to live looked at the other man and said to him, Listen, Dominic, you've lived a very bad life. Everywhere you are wanted by the police, but there are no convictions against me. My name is clear. So here, take my wallet, take my papers, take my identity, take my good name, my life. Quickly, hand me your papers and put them in my pocket. And you put my papers in your pocket so that I may carry your crimes away with me into death. And I want to tell you 2,000 years ago, the Lord Jesus took your crimes and your papers and your criminal record and he stuck them in his pocket and he went and he died on a cross and he nailed your crimes there and they were buried with him and he left them behind him in his empty tomb when he got up three days later and you and I were set free from our record of sin. That's the gospel. Amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise today. When we are baptized in water, we are publicly celebrating the fact that our crimes were carried away with Jesus and buried in his tomb. And so we're buried and rise to live a new life with his papers, with his good name, in Christ, united with him through faith and publicly declared in baptism. Publicly declare your intention to follow Jesus and serve him. In a world where everything seems to be private, Jesus calls his disciples to be very public. I know that for many people today, they want religion to be a very private matter. We live in a world like that. We have even replaced that out, this idea in our culture. When I grew up, we talked about freedom of religion. Now, my children hear about freedom of worship. They're not the same thing. Freedom of worship means you're free to get in a room like this and shut the door and do whatever you want to do. That's fine, but keep it behind closed doors. Keep it in the sanctuary. Keep it in the church house. Freedom of religion means not only are we able to gather and worship, but I have the freedom to live out those principles Monday through Friday on my job, in the public sector, in the workplace, in the marketplace of ideas. We have the opportunity to go and live and declare the gospel and share our faith and invite other people to believe and know Jesus too. And I want to tell you, Jesus calls us to that kind of very public discipleship. Jesus didn't call people privately behind closed doors. Jesus called them very openly and very unashamedly to follow him. Peter, James, and John were on a fishing boat with other family members when Jesus called them. Matthew was sitting at the tax collector's booth in the middle of his work shift when Jesus walked up and asked him to walk away from it and become his disciple. Elijah did not book a private meeting with Elisha in the story. He walked by on the job in full of all his co-workers and threw his mantle on him and said, you come follow me. The call to be a disciple is a public one. Say public. It's not private. It's public. It's personal, but it's not private. Our faith is very personal, but if it's real, it will be very public in its issue forth from us.
You can pray to receive Christ quietly in your own bedroom, but eventually every Christian is expected to publicly identify with Jesus and profess their faith before other believers. Jesus said this public act of identification is when we're baptized. In many parts of the world, baptism is a very dangerous act. A very dangerous act. You and I might have some people look at us funny. You might lose a friend or two. I don't know. But in parts of the world, baptism is a very dangerous thing to do because baptism is the crossing of the line. It's the moment when you're no longer just investigating the Christian faith, but you are officially adopting the Christian faith. And you're leaving whatever you used to be, and you are becoming a follower of Christ very publicly. And that can cause, in some countries, that puts a mark on your back. That puts a target on your life. It's a very costly thing. James Montgomery Boyce says, In ancient world, to be identified with Christ in baptism was also a very bold and risky endeavor. It put your life in jeopardy. There was nothing wrong with listening to Christian preaching, but when you were baptized, you were saying to the government and to your fellow believers that you were going to be loyal to Christ no matter the outcome. It meant Christ before Caesar, God before the government. It was putting your name on the line. Today we often face a different test. The danger is still real. A Christian who was exiled from Russia for his faith once said, you know, in Russia, Christians are tested by hardship, but in America, Christians are tested by freedom. And maybe that test is a harder test, he said. Nobody pressures you about your religion, so you relax and you don't concentrate on Christ, on his teaching, on how he wants you to live. And maybe you should. Wow, what a word from a believer from another culture. In some places, people do not publicly identify with Christ because it's too hard. In America, I'm afraid many people don't publicly identify with Christ because it's too easy. And it doesn't seem like a big deal. It doesn't seem like it matters. I want to tell you today, nothing matters more than you knowing Jesus and being convinced of that enough to publicly own him before men. It matters. A disciple is called, say called. We publicly identify with Christ. Number two, we are committed, say committed. And this is not just our public declaration, but it's living it out Monday through Friday. Our obedience to Christ. Being committed means I obey Christ. I don't just profess it. I possess it. I don't just claim it. I live it. That's the call. Verse 20, the, the prophet Elisha looks back at his master Elijah and he says, First, let me go kiss my mother and father goodbye and then I will follow you. I will follow you. Follow. That's the word. Follow. Say follow. Jesus used this word. Follow me. That was the call. Whenever he invited someone to be his disciple, that was the words. Follow me. He tells Peter, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow me, Luke 9, 23, if he wants to be my disciple, if he wants to come after me, what must he do? He must deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. That's the call to deny ourselves. Number one, say deny yourself. Being a disciple in Jesus' day meant more than showing up for a Bible study once a week. It meant more than submitting to his leadership. It meant you had to, you had to learn to think the way he thought, to live the way he lived, to pattern your life and actions after his life and actions. 
a disciple was said to be covered in the dust of his rabbi because he was standing that close. He was walking that near behind him. He was putting his feet in his footsteps. He was going to be there. He was going to soak in everything he could. When you become a disciple, you give up the right to follow your own opinions. You agreed to obey your rabbi's interpretation of Scripture in each and every single facet of your daily life. Even in the church, there are a lot of people who want to follow Jesus from a distance. They don't want to be covered in the dust of Jesus. They don't want to walk so close to Christ that their life looks like his in the world. But that is the invitation. That is what it means to follow. Say follow. We deny ourselves. We give up the right to do our own way. Hear me today. We're not really following Jesus. We're just following the flesh. We're following our own sinful desires. If we aren't willing to deny ourselves at the moment where what I want and what Jesus wants come to a loggerhead. That really is the issue, isn't it? It's easy to follow Jesus when he's going the way you were going to go anyway. But it's challenging to follow Jesus when all of a sudden what Jesus says I should do runs counter to what I want to do. That is the rub. And there's the test. But a disciple, if you're going to be a disciple, you must deny yourself. Jesus said in verse 46 of Luke 6, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? Obedience is the test if we're following. Again, are you a follower or are you just a fan? Ken Eidelman said it this way in his book, the, world, the word fan is most simply defined as an enthusiastic admirer. Wow. I think Jesus has a lot of fans these days. Some fans may even get dressed up for church on Sunday, make their ringtone a worship song. They like being associated with Jesus. Fans want to be close enough to Jesus to get the benefits, but not so close that it requires anything from them. They want a no-strings-attached relationship with Jesus. So a fan says, I like Jesus, but don't ask me to serve the poor. I like Jesus, but I'm not going to give my money to people who are in need. I like Jesus, but don't ask me to forgive the person who hurt me. I like Jesus, but don't talk to me about money or sex or anything that's off limits. I think he's spot on. If you still talk like you used to and party like you used to and sleep around like you used to and you come to church on Sunday, you are a fan, but you are not a follower. And Jesus is calling us to follow him. And that means, number one, we deny ourselves. If we spend most of our time, energy, and money on ourselves and our own pleasure, if we choose to hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness against our enemies, if we still hold on to secret sins and pet addictions, we're not following. We are just a fangirl, but we are not a follower. Matthew 7, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. That's a scary verse. Because what he's saying is fans don't go to heaven. Followers do. Do you see it? Fans don't go to heaven. Followers do. That's stout, isn't it? But that is what Jesus teaches. That's why this message matters. We deny ourselves. Then we take up our cross. Say, take up your cross. In a day where people often refer to some difficult trial or persistent problem by saying, well, that's just my cross to bear. I think it's important to remember what taking up the cross really means and really looks like. In the first century, if you saw a man carrying a cross, it only meant one thing. He wasn't coming back. 
he was on his way to certain death. You wouldn't be seeing him again. The cross had one result, death. A.W. Tozer famously said, to be crucified means first, the man on the cross is facing only one direction. Second, he is not going back. And third, he has no further plans of his own. Jesus said, take up your cross. And that's what it means. I'm facing one way. I have no further plans of my own, right? I'm not going back. I'm all in. I'm fully devoted. Paul says, I have crucified my flesh with its affections and desires. Galatians 5.24. Deny yourself, take up your cross. And lastly, he says, follow me. Say, follow me. Uh, today, I'm afraid that social media has ruined our idea even of this word, following. On Twitter, you have followers, right? Some of you stopped watching, and now that a certain guy's back, you're going to start following Twitter again, right? Yeah, I know. Followers. On Twitter, you follow someone, and that just means you sign up for your hashtag, and you pick who you want to follow, and every time they say something, it's going to pop up on your phone, and you can like it or you can share it, and that's it. It doesn't require any more commitment than that, and you are a follower. Congratulations. Well, I want to tell you, to be a follower of Jesus is miles away from that idea. It is to obey his teaching. It is to believe him enough to follow the way he calls us to follow. Amen? Uh, Jesus tells us what he expects of us. In this world, you can be a follower and it doesn't cost anything. You click follow and it's done. You wait for them to deliver some inspiring brief thought for you to ponder. And even if you never read any of their tweets, you're still considered one of their followers. No responsibilities, no accountability. Just click the button and you're a follower. But Jesus is very clear about his expectation of his followers. In John 8, 31, he told those who believed in him, If you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will make you free. Being a disciple in the New Testament meant conforming your life to the teachings of your master. Doing what the master commanded. You didn't want to just know what the rabbi knew. You wanted to become what the rabbi was. You wanted to be like him in every way. Jesus has a lot of fans today. But I wonder how many followers he has today. When Elisha said, I will follow you, he left his old life behind him. He moved into Elijah's house where he served him in order to learn his ways. Why? Because someday Elijah would be gone and Elisha would have to wear his mantle and continue his ministry without Elijah present to lean on. And that's what the world needs today. Not just people who know what the Bible says. The world needs people who think, act, live, and love like Jesus. Who are a reminder of his presence in this world. Luke 6 and 40 says, A disciple is not above his teacher. Everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his master. Wow. We're called. We are committed. And finally today we are consecrated. Say consecrated. Consecrated means fully devoted to Jesus Christ. Amen. Verse 21, so Elijah turned back, took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment and he gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. 
The Bible tells us in verse 19 at the beginning of the story, Elijah was plowing. He had 11 men. Each of them had a yoke of oxen. And Elijah was on the 12th yoke of oxen. And they were plowing this large field together. Now what that means is this. In order for you to own 12 yoke of oxen, your family was very, very wealthy. Many families would only own maybe one animal or a pair to plow a field. Elisha's family owns 12 yoke of oxen and he's plowing the last one. Elisha, nevertheless, did not let his wealth or his family connection to wealth hold him back. He did not hesitate when Elijah threw his mantle on him. His decision was irreversible. He took his pair of oxen and he slaughtered them and he offered them as a sacrifice. He boiled the flesh and had a going away party for the rest of the men on his crew. And he used the the yoke and the plow for the firewood for the barbecue. There was no going back. He instinctively understood what Jesus would say many years later in Luke 9 and 62. Anyone who, having put his hand to the plow, looking back, is not fit for the kingdom of God. Elijah was not going back. Elisha was going forward. There was no going back. Years ago, when the Iron Curtain fell in the Soviet Union, um, we heard stories that came out of there. When communism began in Soviet China, the Iron Curtain came down and Christian missionaries were expelled from the country. They were forced to leave and many of them were very worried and concerned. Will the church in the Soviet Union survive? Will we be able to get back? Will we be able to help them from a distance? Will it continue to go forward? Will they be okay? Will they hold true to Jesus? Or will they fold up and cave under the pressure? Years later, whenever the Iron Curtain fell... Christians heard word from them again. Missionaries were able to return from the evangelical church. And they found that the church in Russia was actually alive and well. It was growing and vibrant, underground, persecuted, but still there and still being faithful to Christ. But what was interesting was after years of not being exposed to missionaries from the West, the Russians noticed something about us. They noticed something about us. The missionaries who came in to preach, they noticed a very big difference. One day an old man said to a U.S. missionary, the message changed from before. The missionary said, no, we still preach the same message that we used to. We preach the same gospel. We haven't changed the message. But the man was adamant. He said, oh, no, you've changed the message. You don't preach the same word you used to preach. There's one word different. He said, what do you mean there's one word different? He said, you speak about being committed to Christ. When your father was here, he preached about being surrendered to Christ. You can be committed and not be fully surrendered. But to be a disciple is not simply to be committed. It is to be consecrated, fully surrendered, totally yielded to the Lord Jesus. Are you a fan are you a follower? In 1519, the Spanish conquistador Hernan Cortez led a group of 600 soldiers on a mission to conquer the Aztec Empire and to take over the interior of Mexico. Having sailed from Cuba to Mexico, Cortez gave the order that all but one ship be run aground and that they physically stripped the boats of all the rigging, the sails, the weapons, and the tackle, and they used the wood and the timbers from the boat to build houses for the soldiers to live in. 
Cortez explained in his own writing, we were all in and there is no turning back. They would either fulfill their mission or they would die trying. I want to ask you today, are you all in? Are you fully consecrated? Are you surrendered to Jesus? Because that is the mark of a disciple. Not just a fan, a follower. Someone who wants to follow Jesus. Who's willing to deny themselves. Who's willing to take up their cross daily. And who's willing to do their best to follow Jesus. Remember what Tozer said? To be crucified means the man on the cross is facing only one direction. Second, he's not going back. And third, he has no further plans of his own. Are you crucified with Jesus? No turning back. Remember the song? I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Stand with me all over God's house today. Have you run your ships aground? That's my question. Have you busted up your old yokes? Have you burned the plow and killed the ox? Have you had a going away party for your old life? Have you decided to follow Jesus? No turning back. That's the question. Are you a fan or are you a follower? Because a follower is greater than a fan. I didn't ask you, do you admire Jesus? I ask you today, are you totally, fully devoted to him? That's the question. Would you bow your heart with me today? Lord, I, I look today out over this room and I see many followers, many men and women who I know personally and I know that they love you and that they live for you. And every day of their life is about you, your, your honor, your glory, your kingdom advancing, your name being exalted. And Lord, even though they may stumble on the journey, they really do with all their heart desire to honor and please you and they try their best to do that on a daily basis. But Lord, maybe there's some in the room today who would have to be honest enough to say, Lord, if I'm honest, I'm a fan, but not a follower. Lord, I pray today if there's anyone in the room like that, that today would be the day they cross the line. Today would be the day that they cast their lot with you fully. Lord, that today would be the day they step over that threshold and say, no more, no longer. Publicly, in the presence of God and His people, I want to step forward and profess I am a follower of Jesus. I'm not just going to be an admirer. I want to walk the way you walk, Lord. I want to obey your word. I want to grow in your likeness. I want to love what you love and hate what you hate. I want to be devoted to what matters to you. And I want to shy away from what breaks your heart. Lord, I want my life to be about your kingdom advancing and your fame and your glory and your name being exalted. I want my life to be about people who never met you coming to know you. And Lord, today, I want to be a follower of Jesus. Lord, as the old, uh, old African-American spiritual said so well a hundred years ago, Lord, I want to be a Christian in my heart. In my heart. Lord, that's our prayer today. We want to be a Christian in our heart. We want to be not fans, but fully devoted followers in Jesus' name. Move us there. Amen. Amen.